0: Welcome to the Sunrise Life Podcast, where we have deep conversations with freelance models. Today, I have Michelle Sorensen, aka the Velveteen Serpent Queen, on the line. Say hello. Hello. So excited to be here today. Thank you. I'm excited to get to know you better, too. I've been looking at your page and your energy just puts off like fun, energetic, outgoing vibes. Thanks. I
1: consider myself having big energy, so and that's what a lot of people say when they first meet me. Is they always think I'm actually physically taller than I am because my energy is so big.
0: That's funny because people have told me they thought I would be taller in person, but I am very short. How? Yeah, I think it happens a lot with big personality. Yeah, I am. I say I'm 5'2", but I'm really five one and 3 quarters. You <laughs> might as well round up, you know? Yeah. Cool. Well, what got you into
1: modeling? So I've been modeling off and on for quite a long time, actually, ever since my early 20s, maybe even when I was 19. I can't remember if I did any gigs before 20. And it was a world that I wanted to get into really heavily, actually, when I was younger. And... Unfortunately, it kind of drove me to disordered eating because my body type was not the popular body type at the time. And so I was trying to like fit my genetics into this box and it ended up just not being good for my mental health. So I took a step away and like cleaned up my eating habits, got back to a healthy place, and just kind of didn't really focus on pursuing it for a number of years after that because I found dance and it was just what I was putting all of my time and energy into obviously occasionally I would do modeling gigs because as a dancer and a mover like people like seek models who have that kind of body knowledge and awareness Mm -hmm. and so I would do gigs but I wasn't actively pursuing them and Now I'm kind of at a point where I want to start pursuing modeling more actively, mostly because I'm in a place where I'm extremely self-confident and self-aware and know that I would never allow outside influence to change the person that I am. And I only will take gigs that resonate with me and are in alignment
0: with my beliefs I love that. And I find a lot of people that I talk to have that same kind of a feeling about over time, wanting to only take photo shoots that they resonate with. Yeah. Yeah. so how, how did that come about within you? Like what made you decide that there were certain types of sh- shoots that you wanted to do and certain that you didn't want to do? I think it mostly came down to in 2020,
1: I was regularly hiking with my best friend, Jen. And on one of these hikes, I was like, hey, like we should get naked and take photos of each other out in nature. And that was kind of the beginning of an incredible love affair with being nude in nature for me. And it was, it mostly started with self shoots, but then I started getting asked to model for other people. And I was like, Oh, well, I should be charging for this, not just like collaborating, because I'm a skilled mover and a skilled poser. And so I just kind of started taking on random gigs. And then when I got asked to be a part of Muses of the West, it kind of was a culmination of everything that was kind of, I was being led up to. And I was like, Yeah, I kind of want to pursue this again, so that I can travel more often, especially within the US. Like there are so many national parks and state parks that I want to hit up. And so I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to kind of push into this field and just let people know my travel schedule and try to book some gigs. And the last time I did that, it worked out really well for me. And so it's just kind of become a thing I do on the side with my dance career being my main source of income.
0: That's awesome! I did notice that you have multiple Instagram accounts, and one of them looks like 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 you're a fitness trainer, also.
1: Yeah, I'm also a personal trainer.
0: Wow, you do! So, and you had a photography page as well. Yes. Wow, you do so much! It's awesome to see other people like taking the creative path in life. Yeah, I just feel like I
1: have always been really multifaceted, and I've had a lot of interests ever since I was a kid, and for a long time. I felt like there was something wrong with me because I had so many interests. And then I ended up seeing this TED Talk. This was maybe like five years ago that I saw this TED Talk. And it talks about being a multi-potentialite. And I cannot tell you how affirming it was (laughs) to watch this video and be like, oh, no, there are other people out there like me who want to put their hands on a bunch of different projects. And not because they can't focus on one, but because they have so many interests.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like if I was just to choose one thing and stick with that, I would get bored of it and I would lose interest, you know? I think it helps to keep
1: our passions fresh. Yeah. To be able to rotate through them kind of seasonally, you know, like... Just as the earth has its seasons, so do human beings. And so it kind of blows my mind when a person can do one thing for like 40 years. And I'm just like, wow, that's amazing to me because that is not how I operate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've actually, I've noticed that too. It might be a different like type of brain or something, something Mm -hmm. like that. I. I haven't been able to put my finger on that either. Yeah. I like the multi-potential light is definitely a word I'm going to use in the future because I love that. I find that that's a way to keep things fresh, like we were just saying. But also, like from a marketing standpoint, it feels like it can be a, a challenge because people on the outside, if they see that you're a model then they might not take your photography seriously because they saw you in this one box and they can't take their mind out of that box. Have you had any of those problems yet of people just assuming you do one thing because that's how they first met you? Yes. And I, I often actually come across that it's
1: really difficult to market myself like at, because of like branding. Yeah, issues. Because I'm like, well, I'm a dancer, but I'm also this, but I'm also this, but and so I feel like I have to do a bunch of like separate marketing for each individual career path that I've chosen, which makes which makes it difficult. Speaking of like, time management, you know,
0: Yeah, yes, I have gone back and forth with this too, because I've gone back and forth with having multiple Instagram pages and having like a photography page that has a name where you would not be able to associate me, the model, as the photographer, as well. So, yeah, I'm trying to keep them separate and then melding them and then just posting everything on one account and then going back and going, Well, I really need to separate it if I really want to market it properly. It's a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is.
1: And I feel like this society is just built to facilitate being put in boxes more than it is kind of an amorphous really varied type of life. It's just everything has labels now. If you don't like work for the man, you're weird. It's just like hard to fit into a society that likes structure to the point that it's actually detrimental yeah. to our survival.
0: I feel that. I feel that really harshly. And speaking of names, I had a question that I want yeah. to ask you that I find a lot of people that also use Instagram because Instagram's very like a prevalent part of our lives right now even though I don't always want to admit that but it is I noticed that you have a blue check mark on on your account and I wanted to ask a few questions Yeah firstly do they require you to upload your ID when you get the blue check mark Yeah they do And then do they change your username to your legal name when when they do that
1: I don't think it has to be your legal name because i my are you talking about the handle so like on instagram my handle is velveteen serpent queen yeah I i did realize i think in my profile it says my name under that and that may have been a requirement it's kind of like i can't remember because it was a while ago okay but that may be a requirement to have your legal name listed i'd have to double check on that
0: I guess if it wasn't a big deal for you, if you were already using that name, that right. like if, if it didn't majorly affect the way that you brand yourself, maybe it wouldn't affect you as much, but other people who really don't want their real names out there for like family or like other career purposes, might that might be a deal breaker with the blue check mark. Right. I hadn't even thought of that because I've,
1: always presented with my legal name, which I know has potential risks, especially because I do participate in sex work as well. So I understand the risks and it's just kind of a calculated one that I have taken since the beginning
0: of my dance career. Wow. I'd say that what I have derived from all this information for myself out of this major dilemma of like, how do you market yourself doing so many different things and having so many different skills is that your name is ultimately your brand. Like even if you have your photography and your dance and the fitness, like the, the people that know you, even if they just know you from your personality on the internet, if they fall in love with you, then they are always going to be a potential customer or or just a supporter in any kind of way. Like, because somebody that comments on your posts is still supporting you, even if they're not buying something, it's still contributing to your presence on the internet, which drives traffic, right? Right. So I, I think that just, like, maintaining, like, connection with people that, like, know you for yourself and your personality. Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, you've got like a big personality and people are attracted to that. So I, I think that that that's definitely something that's a positive attribute for like a creative business.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Because if people are coming to me for the energy that I provide, well, yes, I do have a lot of knowledge in a lot of different areas. If people are coming to me for the energy they're more likely to participate in the many things that I do because they're just coming to me for me, not necessarily for this explicit service that I provide, you know?
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's why I think that's so great that you found, it seems like from an early on point with the modeling, you found out like what you liked and sticking with that, like the new to nature, like artistic adventure style modeling, which I mean, who wouldn't like that, honestly, unless you don't like being outside, but... Right. (laughs) But I assume that there were some like photo shoots that seemed like a drag that made you feel like, man, like, I don't want to do this type of shoot. I want to do the fun outdoor stuff. Is is that so? It's not that I don't appreciate different
1: kinds of creative shoots or indoor shoots. I do all of it, but the project and the concept has to resonate with me. So if it's just like... A lingerie shoot that has no concept behind it. Yeah, if it's not paying me like mega money, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> I'm just like whatever. It's been done. It's boring to me. Yeah, I feel that. And any time that I am like watching the clock or like chanting in my mind how much money I'm making to get through the shoot, that's how I know <laughs> I shouldn't take this type of shoot again. <laughs> yeah, unless I really need the money, honestly. Like All right. If it's not going to kill you. It's just going to be a drag. And right. mom's work is a drag.
1: Yep. And But everybody has a price. You know what I mean? If someone really wants to shoot with me and I'm just like, no, this is what I'm charging for this because I'm not passionate about it. And they pay it. I'm like, okay, cool. There is an energetic exchange in that since money is energy, you know?
0: True that. Are there any like uh, deal breakers that can happen in pre-communication or like in your pre-shoot like checks that will make you just, you know, not take a gig at all? I mean, honestly, I have
1: not encountered many creepy people, which I consider myself lucky for that but if someone cannot tell me directly what it is they want especially if it's like a sexier shoot concept mm-hmm. if somebody is kind of like beating around the bush and like not really being direct with their communication that gives me a red flag i'm like no if you want to do something super kinky just fucking say it right <laughs> you know just like just be honest about it and tell me because that's going to make things feel less awkward
0: yeah, especially if they spring it on you in the moment and right. you're aware of what they are wanting before you right. get to person, it's going to be a lot more awkward in person than over email. Exactly, exactly. I'm just a fan of
1: people stating their truth upfront, and I can handle hard truths. I can handle kind of bizarre truths. And there's not much that can put me off as long as somebody is upfront and honest with me.
0: Yeah, I dig that as well. And especially when it comes to like niche fetish type shoots, where like to us, perhaps the, the whatever they want to shoot isn't necessarily like that sexual. Like, I had a shoot where they wanted me to rev car engines like for the entire shoot. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was filming it was like really into it and he felt really embarrassed. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is the funnest shoot ever. I get to rev old cars. Yeah. Have you had any like that? I haven't had
1: any quite like that, but I have had people become obsessed with my collarbones, which is, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of a a random thing, but collarbones and shoulders, like people have had things with that. And I'm not mad about it because it all ends up being like minimally explicit, you know? So I don't, I don't really have to show
0: anything that couldn't be shown on a public platform. Now I'm like looking to see if I can find like a close-up of your collarbone. I mean, do they stick out particularly or or is there something that collarbone people are are into about them? I think honestly, it's the differentiation between
1: my traps and my collarbone. So like the musculature above it creates a particular depth. Yeah, and I, so I yeah, I think it's just like a a very like body built specific kind of thing.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess there every, there's a feature for everybody's body that groups of people on the internet are attracted to. And- yeah. And I had not really actually, I don't think I've heard of collarbone one. I have had people tell me that I have attractive armpits. (laughs) I love this. I love that that compliment. compliment. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, I never thought about that before, but I guess they're all right. (laughs)
1: That's so funny.
0: But that's one of the things about modeling and like sex work and getting to know people intimately that you wouldn't normally be interacting with on that level. It, that like this type of industry allows you to like learn more about that aspect of humanity, right. which is right. really interesting. Yeah, the invitations that have come
1: through modeling and modeling esque type gigs have definitely opened my eyes to the variety of humanity.
0: Yeah, true that. So with all of the crazy photo shoots that you've had, I'm sure there's a story or two that sticks out in your memory. I have this bit on my podcast called the photo shoot fail of the week. Can you describe a crazy photo shoot that you had? It could be crazy bad. It could be crazy good. It could be crazy weird. Just what's one of your crazy shoot stories? Okay. So the first one that's
1: coming to my mind actually was with me as the photographer, not as the model. And I was doing a Curious Curves shoot out at the Great Salt Air. And that's my brand. That's my photography brand. Sweet. And when we arrived, we were looking at the clouds and I was like, girl, I was like, it might just dump on us. And I was like, I know you did your hair and makeup, but are you still down for an adventure? And she's like, yeah, let's fucking go. And so we started walking out toward the water's edge and we maybe were walking for like five minutes and just this torrential downpour just started. Like we were soaked probably within five seconds flat. It was so much water. And when we got out there, the light was just this bizarre, like hazy... It felt like we we were in a snow globe full of gold glitter. It was wow. the most bizarre thing. So it was like this hazy golden light because of the mist, like the temperature of the sand and the temperature of the water just like combined just right to create this steam, essentially. Huh. And so I pulled out my camera and we like started shooting and I said kind of just casually I was like wouldn't it be wild if a rainbow appeared behind you oh my (laughs) god and literally probably mm, maybe five minutes later this beautiful double rainbow happened and I have never had such incredible weather luck on a photo shoot that I've been in or that I've facilitated ever. It was just the most magical thing. And we both walked away from that photo shoot just completely in awe with what we got to participate in
0: and witness. That's awesome. That sounds really yeah. gas. ass. It sounds like it started out feeling like it might be a tragedy and ended right. up really magical. <laughs> Super magical.
1: And I do have the photo... Of this individual up on my Instagram account. So you can see the rainbow behind
0: her. Cool. Is it on your photography page? Yes. It's on my Curious Curves page. I would love to check that out. That's so cool. And you're really lucky that you had a model who was down to like get in the rain. Because not not everybody is that brave. Right. Especially because
1: it's... I mean, it doesn't matter that it was in a warmer month. The rain is still cold. Yeah. So I was super excited that she was just adventurous
0: and down. Yeah. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Being cold is definitely an element that affects shoots for sure. Yeah.
1: I think as long as you come prepared with different kinds of layers and things to keep your body temp regulated, you're, you'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Have Have you ever done a shoot in the snow? I have. Yeah, willingly myself, like a self-shoot, and then also some gigs. Sweet. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot about how to advocate for yourself through snow photo shoots. Yeah, making sure that you have like
1: time to warm up in between taking photos, too, is something that is non-negotiable for me. I'm like, no, I'm not going to freeze my limbs off for this. We will have planned breaks. Timed so that I can rewarm my toesies. You know,
0: yes, definitely that being able to warm up is definitely non-negotiable. I I had a I had a shoot where I got uh, basically kind of stranded in the snow. It was just unplanned. I won't go into the whole story, but basically we we walked through like three foot snow, and then the photographer took a long time to get his lights ready after I was already naked. And then I was getting yeah. yeah, I was getting frostbite. So he was like, Let me go get the car. It's a half a mile away down the road. I was like, what? what? Yeah. No the preparation was awful. And then I was like, after that, we need a plan. Like the car needs to be already heated up and not ready for me, like immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I think people get too excited about like the photo shoot itself until after they've had an experience like that.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: I, I will always be prepared even if other people aren't
1: because I keep that in mind. And I know that not everybody is going to think of these things that need to happen in order to have a successful shoot. They're just f- focused a lot on the creative aspects instead of on the logistics.
0: Definitely. So you said you started modeling in your early 20s. Is that right? yeah. And when you first got into it, like how exactly did you get into it? I kind of just met photographers through the dance
1: community. Honestly, I was a hobbyist as a dancer in my early 20s. It wasn't a career path that I had chosen yet, but I met a lot of photographers as a result. And so it kind of just started as like me doing train shoots because these photographers would see my performances and be like, "Like I would love to do a photo shoot with you." So it kind of just evolved in that way.
0: That's cool. That's really cool. You were already doing something that you loved. That's great. Did, do you have a Model Mayhem account as well? I do. Yeah. Sweet. What has your experience on Model Mayhem been like? I haven't
1: been on as regularly as. I'm planning on being this year because, again, this like dive back into modeling is kind of a fresh thing within the past like 12 months for me. So I'm going to be a lot more active on there. I've had good experience. I've gotten a few gigs off of Model Mayhem so far since I signed up the past few months. And it's been yeah, it's been a good experience so far.
0: That's good. Yeah, it it kind of is hit or miss. It used to be like the only way to go. But now you really have to have like, Facebook, Instagram, all these different platforms to help get the word out about your existence. <laughs> yeah, I find that Instagram
1: is probably the best as far as like contacting and meeting with photographers. Yeah, virtually.
0: Yeah. And it's hard because they don't have as good of a search feature. Like it's obviously a platform that sort of shuns nudity. Yeah, like we are there to be artistic nude inventors, (laughs) so so it does make it hard the censorship.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you on that point. It's been frustrating because my account has been flagged so many times. And then, of course, like the things that they want me to take down or remove in order to not be shadow banned anymore. I'm like, those are some of my best pieces of work. Of course they are.
0: Yeah. So even with a verified account, you are still having the same types of problems as not having a verified account. Yes. And I thought that it would decrease, but it hasn't. Well, that's a big sign for me to not pursue it because I've been on the fence about it. Yeah, sorry, Instagram. Hope you're not listening to this podcast.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they're gonna ban us even more for talking shit.
0: Oh my God. yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't think that they I don't know. maybe they have AI robots that are out there talking shit about them. For all I know, who knows how like big their their machines are. <laughs> <laughs> Things are not yeah. Are you on other platforms for sharing your work also? Yeah, so I do have a
1: Patreon and that is exclusively for dance content and movement content. So I'll share like little fitness classes or flexibility classes and also dance and other types of movement on my Patreon. And then I have an OnlyFans that's titled Wet and Wildflowers. And there is mostly a focus on erotic and sensual content out in nature. It's not all. That, but that's the focus of the content.
0: Cool, love that. That's awesome. I have a question about fitness, fitness classes, and traveling modeling because you mentioned that you're getting more into modeling, which I assume that means you're gonna be traveling more. Oh my goodness, my mom's calling. Oh, just kidding, she hung up. This cool. Sorry, I have to take note of that. <laughs> it's okay, I think she's. Hang on, just a moment. Okay, Call. Cool. I'm gonna ask her if she butt dialed me. Yeah, no biggie. Okay, cool. If she calls again, then I'll I'll have to put you on pause. That's Sorry. fine. Okay, so I'm gonna start the question over again because I forgot what I was where I was. Okay. But so you mentioned earlier that you're getting more into modeling which I assume that means you're getting more into traveling this coming year. Yes, correct. So when it comes to your fitness routine and teaching classes, assuming do you do teach in-person classes too, or is it all remotely done? I do teach in-person classes. So
1: the way that I operate most of the time is that I'll do a hybrid. So I'll be teaching an in-person class and also have the Zoom access available so i'll have the virtual students and the in person students at the same time but i also just kind of upload shorter tutorials and classes that are just strictly virtual
0: that's cool so do you think that your schedule when you're traveling is that going to affect your your fitness and your classes I think that it wouldn't necessarily
1: affect my classes because I find that I can record content from on the road, even depending on weather and like where I'm staying, et cetera. But I have plans this year to record a lot of dance content outside. So it'll be really fun to incorporate my road trips and traveling into my dance creation.
0: That's cool. It, it does sound like uh, a fun project. I just find that, as I've traveled for a while, I usually just like have a yoga mat on my floor and like just do my thing like when it's convenient. But and having a a regular exercise routine, especially one that involves it being filmed, that that takes a lot of like focus,
1: yeah. I think it'll also be fun, though, especially if I'm spending a lot more time out in the natural world to film fitness content that's like in the middle of a forest and like have an exercise routine that you can do in that kind of a situation. So like using the life around you and incorporating it into your training.
0: I love that. I think that's really exciting and a fresh idea that like I haven't really seen. I've seen people doing like yoga at the beach on YouTube, and I've I've seen like by the pool and stuff, and I definitely like visually those videos. I I like following them better. Yeah. So, like I think that's a really cool idea that you're doing that and incorporating the environment around you, in in your videos. That's yeah. Like if they're just like some broken off tree
1: limbs, like how can you use that in your fitness routine? You know what I mean? Just like that's cool.
0: I think it'll be really fun. So how did you come up with the nickname Velveteen Serpent Queen? So that
1: honestly originates with my naming of my studio space first. So When I decided that I wanted to open a physical studio space, I immediately landed on the name The Velveteen Serpent. And I'll tell you a little bit about the history of that. So when I was a kid, I would read The Velveteen Rabbit all the time. And I'm not sure if you're
0: familiar with it. Yes, I am, actually. Yeah, so the idea
1: is that when you are loved, you become real. And I really liked the concept of having a space that was a safe space for people to come and grow in whatever ways that manifested through discovering themselves through movement. And the serpent aspect is because I identify heavily with snake energy, just in the way that they move and the kind of the meanings and like the shedding of the skin and so it just became a logical name for my studio space to to combine those two elements and so I kind of just like based my my title off of my studio name
0: I love that that's really interesting I'm glad I asked because my curiosity has has been quaid now yeah, <laughs> I move like a snake in short. That's the short answer. <laughs> and I love that. What you're saying about because people who haven't seen the the Velveteen Rabbit, like when you are loved, that makes you real. I, I really liked that, especially like the way that you said it. Like now I'm all remembering I, I watched it as a cartoon. I didn't read the book, but I watched it when I was a little kid. And yeah, yeah. Cool. I love that. I saw on the link in your bio that you have something about a spine class. Like, tell me about that. Oh, yeah. So I for that class when I developed it, and I do one every so often,
1: like a fresh one that incorporates different movements and different flow. But I do have one for sale in my online store. And that idea kind of developed as a result of hearing people, mostly people with desk jobs, like complain about how their back always hurts. And so I just developed this flow class that focuses on mobility and also postural kind of inconsistency and issues through the modality of belly dance. So I use a lot of my knowledge from my years of experience with belly dance to help people posturally in a way that's fun, because it's kind of a dance flow. But it's also incredibly anatomy based at the same time.
0: I love that. And I love that you gear it towards people who have spine issues from sitting at a desk for a long time, because I definitely am close with people who have that. It's sure all also- about, that- Yeah, it's also really helpful for anybody. I mean,
1: people who sit for long periods of time on airplanes or in cars when they're traveling or just
0: people who don't necessarily have a good postural awareness in general. Yeah. And it's really important. Like, I mean, that could really debilitate you for life, like having a bad back from bad posture or like just not having an ergonomic chair. And so having a, a good spine class. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I was wondering if it was either that or like contortionism. Have you ever gotten into contortionism? Yeah. So for a long time, when I was teaching
1: at a local pole studio, I would go and take the contortion classes from the instructor. And I my focus was primarily on back flexibility. And I got to the point where I was almost able to sit on my head. And then I stopped training. And so that has not been a thing that's been consistent in my life. But I would say that I have above average mobility in my spine. And it's because of the practices
0: that I employ in my movement career. Wow. That's really impressive. I have always wanted to get more flexible. And I have found I learned the hard way just through not being professionally trained. <laughs> you can overstretch muscles without striking them enough. And so I I had to kind of pull myself back from just stretching too hard. Yeah. I think that there, that's why I tend to focus a lot more on mobility, which
1: to me is the combination of strength and flexibility. So it just, I don't know, it benefits me more as a career dancer to focus on that longevity. Cool.
0: I want to take a short little break to tell you about Model Society. Modelsociety.com is a website dedicated to featuring figurative fine art photography for models and photographers. What makes them different than other portfolio hosting websites is that some of those other websites will still host kind of tacky photography or exploitative photos. Model Society screens all of their contributors for quality and authenticity. So you only get the best of the best on there. If you're not a photographer or model, you can still enjoy and appreciate Model Society because they also have newsletters and magazines featuring their best work and new articles each week. Check it out, modelsociety.com. I will also include a link to Model Society in the show notes. All right, now back to our show. I have another question that I'd like to ask that I also ask everybody on the show. I call it the rising Phoenix era of your life. Can you describe a situation, and it could be related to your modeling or not, just whatever you want, where you were faced with a challenge that you had to overcome? Interesting. The first thing that's coming to my mind is has to do
1: with my body type, actually. When I started belly dancing, I got a lot of kickback from people telling me that my body wasn't the right type of body to belly dance. And I happened to be really, really thin at the time. This is when I was going through that disordered eating phase Mm -hmm. of my life. And I would get comments on how my lines weren't soft enough because I didn't have enough body fat, etc. And it kind of like... It didn't it didn't stop me from pursuing dance, obviously, because now it's my full-blown career, but it definitely hurt. It hurt a lot to hear that I had the wrong body type. And wrong is relative, you know, and made up. It's a made up thing. But that's what I was getting bombarded with. And I've encountered similar things since then, especially with being a small breasted woman. I've had a lot of dance opportunities not given to me because people have told me that my boobs aren't big enough and that I would, yes, and that I would get more gigs if I had bigger boobs. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not my body type. You know, and I have made a pact with myself and my best friend that she and I will never get any kind of elective aesthetic surgery. So we are committed to aging naturally. And I think the embrace of that ideal is what honestly helped me ultimately fall in love with myself. And because once I committed to myself and to my body the way that it is... The more love I had to give to it. And I feel really grateful that I didn't allow all of these comments to affect my self worth in a way that
0: halted my progress. Wow. That's, first of all, I never would have thought that the dance community would say that you need a bigger boobs because to me it feels more like a, a glamour photography thing yeah but that's just so strange i when i visualize a dancer i do visualize i mean i don't visualize i don't even think about what size boobs are but yeah maybe it's just that i'm not in that community so i don't like I maybe i just don't know enough about like the the standards or whatever that they hold but that that did surprise me when you said that. Yeah,
1: I think it's mostly related to the belly dance world since the costumes are very like focused on they're they're quite revealing in the tops and also the midriff and I think just like culturally that's just something that is more present is like a thicker body type and so then when I come in with really small breasts, and a six-pack, people are like, wait, you don't fit the stereotype of a belly dancer. And so I get questioned a lot on that.
0: Wow. That must be frustrating. I couldn't imagine. Because you do all this work with your movement, and it just seems to be like the fuel of your life and expressing yourself. I can't imagine how frustrating it would be for just like the elements of your natural body to seem like a hindrance to people in the community. Yeah. It's bizarre to
1: me because I have never been one to subscribe to the idea that someone needs to look a certain way to do a certain thing.
0: Would you say that dancing and or modeling have helped you get past those eating disorders and past those insecurities despite what those people have said? Absolutely. Especially when I started joining the
1: aerial community and the circus community because In order for me to gain strength and gain ability and skill to put myself in a place where I was doing things smart and not injuring myself, I had to fuel my body properly. And it made me focus a lot more on nutrition instead of on aesthetic, which in turn ended up contributing to the aesthetic of my body because I was just focused on health and fuel and energy.
0: I love that nutrition over aesthetic. And then with your strength, when it comes to like getting stronger with your body in general, I find that getting your body stronger in turn helps make other areas of your life have more strength as well. Oh, absolutely. I think it's just the feeling of being more capable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, And when you're, you know, Getting yourself to do these things that are hard, you know, like I don't know, push ups or, or lifting weights or whatever. Like just the 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 pain of the the things that are hard and getting through that physically helps you get through other things that are possibly emotionally painful.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you. I think that there is a lot of importance to putting yourself in places of discomfort, and I I wouldn't even say like making it so that you can tolerate pain I would say making it so that you can sit with discomfort because the pain of going to the gym and lifting weights isn't really like painful it's just uncomfortable because your body is making peace with this new resistance or this new level of cardiovascular intensity depending on what you're doing and it it doesn't feel nice at first (laughs) Yeah, Being able to like sit with the discomfort of starting something new, I think, is across the boards, you know, one can definitely give you strength in another.
0: Or uh, just even the anticipation of like going to do a workout, like putting on the clothes and like going there and doing it, I think stops a lot of people at first. But having that that habit repetitively over time makes it much easier. Yeah. And that's the thing I love about weightlifting in
1: particular, is that when you start to see the changes, you're like, this, this is why I'm doing this is because now I can lift my suitcase into the overhead bin by myself. And it gives you this sense of accomplishment that then you're like, all of this discomfort was definitely worth it for the confidence that came as a result.
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, just what we do physically with our bodies definitely affects every area of our life. And and with photography, like being photographed, for me in particular, I feel like I had insecurities about myself that over time, just the interaction with photographers that I had and like seeing nice photos coming out of shoots helped me get over any like issues that I had with my own body. Did, did you have a similar experience with that as well? Yeah. So I would say that the aerial world and the circus world was another
1: place that kind of started this for me. But with pole, the further up you get in the levels and classes, the less clothing you wear because you need more contact of your skin with the pole. And so seeing my body repeatedly in front of a mirror not always in like flattering light Mm -hmm. and and seeing the way that my skin would get pulled on from the circus apparatus and like seeing the cellulite be pinched and and just like becoming desensitized in a way to my perceived flaws made it so that they were no longer an issue when i would be exposed in other circumstances so Mm -hmm. i think that it, it helped boost my confidence in modeling having this exposure. And I think that it could have been the other way around had I been pursuing more modeling instead of the circus arts, you know?
0: That's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about before. Like I don't have as much experience with pole, mainly just, you know, I've played on one a few times and I'm I don't I can't really do any cool tricks. But you're right. The skin is what is gripping onto it, which is why, yeah. You know what? I didn't actually know that. I bet a lot of our listeners didn't really think about, like, when you are using the pole, you need to be wearing less clothing for the grip. So yeah. that's that's very fascinating. Yeah.
1: And so it just kind of desensitized me to my own perceived flaws because I saw them over and over and over and over. And if there's one thing that I could recommend to anybody who is really actively trying to overcome their body dysmorphia. It's to look at yourself more. Yes, it is uncomfortable. It's going to be super uncomfortable at first. But just standing in front of a mirror and looking at yourself even once a day is going to drastically change the way that you perceive your flaws because you're going to become more familiar with yourself and be like, this is just how things are. And I can accept that. And you can accept these things that you consider perceived flaws and still work on yourself. You know, it's not, it's not that you're just resigned. It's that you can make peace with the things that you feel are not perfect.
0: Amen to all of that. Definitely. Yeah, that's really fascinating. The dance itself helped build the confidence so that you weren't like worried so much about cellulite or stretching skin or whatever at photo shoots yeah which makes me think of all the times that I've had like a photographer want me to do a pose from the back and then look over my shoulder and then they say but you have like creases on your side and I'm like yeah I have creases on my side like Who doesn't? You're like, I have a body. Are you not familiar with shooting models with bodies? Right. You want to Photoshop that out later? Because if I try and stretch it out, it's going to be a completely different pose. Right. Yeah. That's, that's something that I think is super bizarre actually
1: is when people are like, Oh, but I have wrinkles in my skin when I, when I bend and I'm like, well, yeah, yes. (laughs) It's it's kind of necessary because if that didn't happen, your skin would be so tight that you would not want to live in your body. Like this is not, no, no. Skin is intended to be flexible and fold and stretch. It's that's what its purpose is.
0: Yeah, and if you don't like <laughs> it, Photoshop it out or whatever. <laughs> Photoshop out my skin, bro. Just like... Right. Yeah, just like the world is kind of strange when you kind of think about it. Yeah. When I was growing up, you know, social media wasn't around. It was the magazines on the shelf at the checkout line at the grocery store that affected my perception of my appearance. Totally. I didn't give much attention to
1: those when I was... Younger, it was mostly like comments from other people that gave me my lack of body confidence at a young age.
0: Yeah. So,
1: people in junior high, there was actually this guy who long term affected my mental health about myself. And it's like I can laugh about it now because I'm in a place where I no longer have that dysmorphia. But he, I was really thin and that was just kind of like my natural body type before I hit puberty. I was just a little string bean, you know? Mm -hmm. And he made a comment one day in class and he was like, so are you anorexic? And I, that was at that time of my life, I was not trying to be thin. I just was thin. Yeah. And so it really affected me. And I actually went home every day after school, all through junior high and high school, and would just like binge on junk food because I was trying to gain weight and I couldn't. And then when I hit puberty, it like all kind of backfired on me because then my metabolism shifted and my body composition shifted. And so then I ended up gaining a lot of weight that wasn't healthy weight. And I had to like then pull myself back from this place of binge eating and I got comments like from my family when I got home from my first year of college about how I I had gotten fat. And like looking at pictures of myself from that time, I was not fat. I just wasn't as thin as like I had been prior, you know? But their comments gave me that insecurity. Like I didn't even think that about myself until they had said that. And so that's kind of what started my disordered eating and my desire to lose weight to fit into this modeling community that I kind of fell into in my early twenties. So it's been a lot of back and forth with my body. And it's taken me significant time to come to a place where I feel confident in it and
0: comfortable in it and just satisfied with the facts that I have a working body. You know, that's amazing. Junior high, man, I think I definitely was very insecure as well. And for me, I think it was more about like the hair on my body, even though I'm not like an overly hairy person, but like the hairs on my forearms were like dark, you know? Yeah. They weren't long, they were just dark. I remember in 10th grade, somebody, some guy in one of my classes was like, wow, you have hairy arms you should shave that and i was so embarrassed i literally shaved my arms for 15 years <laughs> i can relate to this i got the same comment and started shaving my arms in junior high oh my god yeah my forearms yes exactly yes wow <laughs> yeah it's so interesting that you bring body hair up
1: because i recently in it was in september I went on a road trip that was relatively long to Montana. And the whole time I was there, I was mostly outside. And so I wasn't like showering like I would if I were staying in an Airbnb or a hotel. And I just like stopped shaving my armpits. And it was just because there was no reason to. And when I got back from this trip, I went to go shave my armpits in the shower when I got back and I stopped myself. And I was like, wait, why, what is my motive for shaving my armpits? Like, I don't find body hair offensive. I don't think it's gross. And actually, I find armpit hair on women really attractive. And so, I just like sat there in the shower, like poised with this razor ready to shave my pits. Just like having this existential... moment with myself yeah Um, I realized that the only reason that I had been doing it for as long as I have been was because it was purely habit that's it like I had no motive other than that to shave my armpits and I realized it was just a habit that had been formed from the time that I was 12 years old and my mom told me I needed to start shaving
0: my pits wow yeah just society culture in general like even when I was first told that I needed to shave my legs, I felt a resistance to it. I was like, wait, like, why? And it is, it is weird. Like, I think the more I think about it, the weirder it gets. Because there's so many. And in my life, because I've just been modeling for such a long time, a lot of the way that I view the world is affected by my modeling. Yeah. So I keep on referencing that. But there's a lot of photographers out there that want you to have a full bush but they want you to shave your armpits and your legs. You're yeah. like, yeah. You're like, how is that natural then? Yeah. You know? out. Like they like the bush, but they think it's unsanitary to have leg hair or armpit hair. And I'm like, well, do you shave your armpits? Yeah. No. I I've, I've been
1: really resisting anything that kind of looks like an action item, when and, and that meaning like. When people say that something is feminine, like, does that have an action item attached to it? Because I am a woman and my body hair is natural and I've had it since I was born. And so am I not feminine if I don't shave? Right. That, that doesn't make any sense because no, like as a woman, I have body hair. So innately that is feminine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right, <laughs> an, I like how you put that, and, and it's true. Like I feel like people should just do with their body hair what they want, and not just because we all feel pressured to do so. And it, it's all it's all from marketing campaigns, right? Like yeah. people didn't start really getting into that until advertisements started telling us that we should. Well, and it's a moneymaker. It it plays into capitalist ideal. If
1: they if people can tell us that we need to have a waxing membership in order to be socially accepted, what are people going to do? They're going to go get a waxing. Me- it's yeah. just like, I don't know, I think our need for approval as a species is so detrimental to our actual spiritual
0: growth. Yeah. And not to mention a lot of these beauty services are they're in a way addicting in themselves, like like even getting your nails done. Like I was, right. you always get a shellac manicure. And when you have a shellac manicure, you can't take it off by yourself. You have to go back to the salon and have them like, you know, shave it down and like scrape it off and stuff. And then when you're there, you're like, well, obviously I need another shellac manicure every yeah. two to three weeks, you know, another 150 bucks and eyelashes hair extensions like we're not even getting into the the surgical parts of what people do to upkeep their appearance right and it's all addicting and i have learned for myself that i'm an addictive personality and i've had to like check myself on some of these things yeah and i think honestly a lot of it is like when you show off these things
1: that you just got done and people are like, Oh, I love your nails, like that just reinforces that pleasure release, you know, where you're like, Oh, I got a compliment and so I should keep doing this.
0: Yep, totally. Yeah, you're right about that. The compliments. I I, th- I feel like people, when they compliment your nails, like if I compliment somebody else's nails or outfit, it's because I'm trying to come up with something to talk about that's positive and it's always easy to be like, I love your necklace. I love your nails, love your outfit or whatever. And those, those are like usually the fair game things to like bring up to compliment somebody on. Yeah. I'm not saying that people should stop giving out compliments. Right. I'm I'm just, I tend to be a lot
1: more focused on complimenting someone's hard work in their artistic endeavors or complimenting what they have worked on in their personality, because I, I like physical compliments too, but they just don't hit as hard as like someone really seeing me and being like, wow, like you've really dedicated yourself in the gym lately. And that's like, that's a compliment that is physical, but also acknowledges my hard work.
0: Yeah, true that. And I guess it kind of goes into the whole, like, small talk over, like, having, like, a in-depth conversation sort of a thing. Because complimenting your appearance is more of a superficial thing, sort of like talking about the weather, right? But, like, in connection, we really, like, I mean, that stuff doesn't matter over time. Yeah, yeah. Love that! I've had such a great time, like going down the rabbit hole on all these. I love that you were so vulnerable in talking about like things that had made you insecure that you overcame. So thank you for for going into depth with that. I, I know that it it can be like a really vulnerable thing to bring up having had issues with an eating disorder in your past, and I just want to say thank you for for being open to talking about that. Yeah, absolutely. Any way that my experience or story can help somebody else, that's why I'm here. you know We're true that. and I think it's just like a great way to connect with other people by like broadcasting it on on a podcast like this. So yeah, it just has the ability to reach more individuals. Is there anything that you would like to plug in particular before we say goodbye on this podcast? Yeah, actually, I'm going to be
1: traveling down to Houston at the end of January. I'll be there like the 18th through the 24th. And if anybody if any photographers are available and would like to hire me for some modeling work, I am stoked about that. Sweet. Houston is a good city. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going down there to teach dance workshops, but I'm also doing a few modeling things on the
0: side. Cool. This podcast will come out in one week. And that is uh, my mind is like, that is two weeks from now, approximately, I think, right? The 18th and 19th. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah just over two weeks. Cool. Well, hopefully you get some work out of it. I know there's a lot of photographers that listen to the podcast, so definitely hire Michelle. Thanks so much for letting me plug that. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, I would love to talk to you for the entire rest of the day, but about an hour is usually how long I do these for. That's perfect. (laughs) Cool. I'd love to have you again in the future. Please stay in touch and I will get back with you. After on Instagram, good. Sweet, bye. Have a great day. I just wanted to thank you so so much from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Sunrise Life podcast. I am so grateful every time somebody comments or sends me a DM saying that they love the show. If you would like to help other people find out about the Sunrise Life podcast, it would be immensely helpful if you could subscribe on whatever platform that you regularly listen to Sunrise Life on. And if you could leave a rating, that would make me smile so hard. (laughs)